I went to Amazon with the only intention to learn how to run operations and learn why is Amazon the best business in the world. I had an org chart of 800 employees beneath me at the age of 24. And at Amazon, they do things in a really specific way. When I was there, I knew I didn't want to be there, right? I started consulting businesses on the side, right? I started to pick up clients on my days off and sometimes during my work days. And I immediately realized, holy crap, no one knows what they're doing. No one knows how to source, hire, onboard, train, fulfill, manage their time, strategy, reverse engineering their success. Like there's a massive opportunity here. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to Designing Growth. Sam Chalbowski here, host of this podcast and co-founder of Motion.io. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Jordan Ross. Jordan is the founder and CEO of Eight Figure Agency, a business that helps agencies reach eight figures in annualized revenue through better operational fulfillment and management processes. So Jordan, how are you doing today? Sam, I'm fantastic. Amazing, amazing. So I was really excited to speak with you today because a lot of the things that you are doing and the challenges you're helping people overcome on that road to scale at Eight Figure Agency is things that I have seen firsthand at a previous business, a website design and marketing agency in the mental health space that we grew to the mid seven figures in annual recurring revenue. Uh, and then we were actually acquired in 2020. I would love to know, Jordan, just a little bit more about your background and how you got started doing what you are doing right now. So the high level overview is my background before running my consultancy eight figure agency was at Amazon Fulfillment. I went to Amazon with the only intention to learn how to run operations and learn why is Amazon the best business in the world? That was my opinion. That was back in 2016. When I graduated, I went to Ohio State. I was managing within 90 days of working at that company, over 100 employees, and I was 21. So I went there with the intention, I want to build a business. I want to learn how to be an entrepreneur. And this is going to be a great studying ground. It's going to be my MBA for when I do build my business, I'm going to bring these skills. And I I was dead on with that. When I was there, I managed over 2,500 people. Cumulatively, I launched three different buildings. At my peak, the most employees I was ever overseeing, I had an org chart of 800 employees beneath me at the age of 24. And at Amazon, they do things in a really specific way. you know. And when I was there, I knew I didn't want to be there. right? I started consulting businesses on the side. Right? I started to pick up clients on my days off and sometimes during my work days. And I immediately realized, holy crap, no one knows what they're doing. No one knows how to source, hire, onboard, train, fulfill, like manage, manage their time, strategy, reverse engineering their success, like customer success, all these things that I had built into my just inner workings of running a business. I would step away for a week or two at a time and my team would be not only fine, they'd be doing sometimes better than when I got back. And I was looking at the marketplace through my first few clients at a company. I was like, there's a massive opportunity here. And serendipitously, my first client ever was an agency. Sam Lister with Blank Slate, you know, I hit him up on LinkedIn. I was like, yo, I saw you had a issue you're facing. I'd love just to hop on a call and just add some value. And I said, hey, man, I'm looking to break into this space. I would love to work for you for free. Sam Lister turned into a success story. We scaled him to a million dollar agency. He sold. Sam had a friend, David. David became a client. David, within 18 months, went from 10K to over 2 million ARR. David runs a holding company now. 
His agency does over 3 million annually, but his holding company does several millions. And everyone I kept working with, it was just like, everything turns to gold. It's like, it can't be this easy, but it was, it really was. It was really just bringing the intentionality. I love this story because that intention behind going to Amazon and saying, this is it. This is going to be my MBA. This is a stepping stone on a path to a larger journey. That isn't something I've heard even a similar version of when I've asked that question on the show. I was fortunate enough earlier in my career and I had that sort of MBA experience, but it was something that I fell into. I remember my boss, who is my co-founder now at Motion.io, he came over to me one day and he said almost exactly that. Hey man, this is gonna be your MBA. This is gonna teach you how to run a business because you are a part of a small team and you're gonna see how things work and you're gonna see what this growth is like. At that time, you know, I was employee number two or three, depending on which way you slice it. And having to wear all of those hats at once, you learn just so much and you have your hands in so many different parts of the business that you never thought you would. But I love your story specifically because you went out with this master plan and that intentionality behind it. It's honestly no surprise to me. Of course, hindsight is 2020, but it's no surprise to me that you have been as successful as you are with this business. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's um, I'm really blessed. I just had foresight. I started going deep into podcasts in 2014, 2015. And one of those early podcasts was like, if you want to become an entrepreneur, go mess up on someone else's dime, go learn the lessons at a company before you build your thing. And you know, that's what I did. That was that was the intentionality. Is there a specific segment within that niche, that agency niche that you're working with? Like, is it primarily B2C, B2B? What kind of services do most of the clients you're working with seem to be offering? We have a really wide range of clients. Our smallest clients are doing 10 to 20K a month. And our largest client is doing over $120 million annually. And it's just part of that's the inbound funnel. Over the course of the last two years, I was like, I keep getting this really wide range of sizes of agencies. We need to create offerings to accommodate so it's seamless. And then when it comes to the actual agencies themselves, they it's everything under the sun, right? CRO, web dev, advertising, copywriting, SEO right? You name it. We got TikTok agencies, YouTube agencies, content podcast agencies. Our clients literally do everything. So there's no rhyme or reason mm -hmm. as to like the types of clients we have. I mean, the, the reason is agencies. The consistent thing is operations, right? The cornerstone of how we approach the game. And this is my methodology. The only way you do scale is systematically. Like if you want to scale from six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine, the only way to do that is through processes and people period, right? And the biggest bottleneck, and I'll walk you through a few of them, right? The agencies typically plateau as a solo founder at 30K, as a dual founder at 50, 60K, at like 100 to 120K, at 250K, at 5 mil, at 10 mil, 20. Like there's these plateau areas and the plateau is always when you're doing less than 2 million. It usually, when you're doing less than a million, it usually has to do with time and people and onboarding and training. When you're doing more than that, it has to do with training and retention and delivering results and mm -hmm. systems, right? And it's it's just all the same people, people and processes. And that's the one consistent thing that we delivered yeah. all of our clients, right? There is a methodical way to do this. There is an easier way to do this. There's a way to do this that will save you a shit ton of time that will make your people execute, that will bring in the right people, that will make sure they don't leave after a year, that you they stick with you for a while, that they get developed the right way so that you deliver the results, you maintain your reputation, and now you could get yourself out of the operation, focus just on sales and marketing or whatever it is that you want to focus on, right? It's all the same 
doesn't matter for the client that we're working with that's doing 120 million annually. Especially businesses who are trying to reach a new level of scale. Either they've built a system that isn't working or they have yet to build a system to solve a future problem or a future need. What would you say the main types of problems that you are seeing there? How do they manifest themselves and what do they look like? So let's go with like um, general systems for execution, but the biggest mistake is there. Okay. And then let's go with the people system. Cause I think I call them hard and soft systems, hard systems were software oriented and soft systems more like people oriented. So the, the first mistake is I'm going to give a quick analogy of building a house. The number one mistake that any agency owner makes, like this is by far the number one thing they go to build this beautiful home. Like it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be a million or $10 million, right? Like imagine you want to go build this a million dollar home or $10 million home, uh -huh. $20 million mansion, whatever. And they go to the plot of land and they just start digging and they start building. They start scraping building shit. And they get to one story in one room and they're like, I have no clue how to get this to do. Holy shit. I didn't screw in this electrical. I have no plumbing. That is exactly what they do compared to hey, let's, we got this plot of land. Let's bring in an architect. Let's bring in the blueprint. Let's make our designs. Let's figure mm -hmm. out how we can intentionally get here, right? The story started with you asking me, how did I get here? I went to Amazon with the only intention to become an entrepreneur. Like it's literally not a mistake, right? And I think entrepreneurs, they just jump in focusing on the next month too, right? The number one reason entrepreneurs, anyone is successful, this is a golden rule is reverse engineering your success. So the system to do that is, hey, let's, from a strategy perspective, let's build that blueprint. Let's reverse engineer success. Do you want this to be a million dollar home, a $10 million home, a hundred million dollar home, like community, megalithic structure. And then once we understand what we want to build, what's the roadmap to get us there? So for an operational roadmap is once a client closes, this is obviously mm -hmm. one of the things you guys help with that motion. What are all the steps that we need to execute to onboard them, deliver results in month one, retain them for 12 months, for 24 months? And what are all the interdependencies, right? People, software, communication, workflows, and all that, all that stuff. And we call that um, the, the process roadmap. So that's the first thing. Like people go in with a lack of intentionality, and as a result of it, they're not reverse engineering their success, and they're not building a clear workflow and or process roadmap that then dovetails into like just how to execute and how to build SOPs and trainings and how to manage talent and all that fun stuff. That's number one. And the second thing for people is they don't treat people like that really hot person. I'm trying to go agnostic here. Like that really, that amazing, beautiful person that you want to date so bad and you want to like marry them. You want to be with them for so long. Like I, I remember when I met my wife, like I was blown the, I was blown away by her. I was like, this woman is, oh my goodness. So I, I got up all my, I got all my friends together. I, we, we were going to do a pedal wagon. We're going to do bar hopping. I'm going to take her out to this nice dinner. And now our first day. And we end up getting married. You need to treat your talent as if you want them to stay with you for 10 to 20 years. I, I didn't just end up married to this amazing woman that we're building a family around. It's, I really wanted to be with her. So I made sure that she was blown away. And for our talent, it has to be similar. Like, what do they care about? Right? Do you understand what they're, desires are and what their dreams are, what their financial goals and what their personal goals are. Do so you understand what their professional ambitions are, what they would need to develop in, what they need to get trained in? Do we have a roadmap? Do you intentionally make them feel seen, heard, and loved? What are the five love languages? What are What's their love language? Do they need like a words of affirmation or do they need like an act of service? Do you take something off their plate? Right? So when it comes to the number one people issue is you need to treat your talent like loyalty like loyalty royalty sorry and 
when you do that and you build intentional roadmaps for their career careers in their lives, they're not going to go mm -hmm. anywhere as long as the financial compensation's set up. Why would they? You'd mentioned trying to find people who are there for the long term, people that you think could stick with you 15 to 20 years, even if that isn't the reality or the end result. I would call those types of people A players. And I think one of the things that is hard is once you get to a certain scale, sometimes it's just not possible to hire just A players. You know, A players are people who have initiative, who can own projects from beginning to end, who think like an owner and not like an employee. And I guess one of the questions that I'd ask is what happens when you need to hire a B player or a C player, somebody who it's just a job to them? How do you think about that? How do you approach that? And what tips would you have for people who are hiring at scale? First off, Sam, I just want to shout you out because you were one of the best podcast. I've been on so many podcasts, guys. You need to keep <laughs> listening to this man. He knows what he's doing. You listen. What an amazing question. So this is actually something that I've recently started to focus on in my content because what happens when you're doing sub million on an annualized level as an agency, that what usually the first one or two hires is is out of necessity, not out of like this person is the best person that we could hire for this role. A lot of times you will grow beyond them. Like when you get to two, three million, you could afford better talent. You're probably going to find someone that's better than them. But this person has ownership and they're probably not an A player. How do you, the likelihood, right? Mm -hmm. How do you work through that, right? So I, I think for me, let's just kind of going back. One, do we understand what their dreams, goals, and ambitions are? Because one thing, Sam, that, always, that happens really commonly, divorces can be really ugly. And a lot of times, your team members can leave and it could be disastrous. You can lose clients with a bad breakup of employee. So number one, if you're treating this person the right way the, the whole time, mm -hmm. when you leave, hey, I think I'm going to be heading out. I don't know if this is the right fit for me. Or, or you could bring together a conscious conversation. Hey, I want to really sit down and just talk through your future. And you go back to where this conversation starts. Where do you want to be in a year or two or three? Where do you see yourself growing in here? Like, And a lot of times, if there's a, if it's not fitting, both parties will usually see that usually. And the conversation doesn't become, let's get you to your next, like, let's get you out. It's like, hey, let's figure out how we can help you evolve to the next part of your career. That allows you to do succession planning. That allows you to ensure that this person's taken care of in their next role. Like you could help source that for them. Um, and I think that's where it's just leaning on the principles of genuinely good relationships. When you do that, everyone is always taken care of. Like if I ever part ways with someone, like where I parting ways with someone on my sales team, I helped him build his agency. He had like 10K MRR. Huge win for him and huge win for me. It wasn't ugly at all. He actually, a deal literally just closed Amazing. for him before this podcast, right? So the people you source before your first million will probably not be an A player, but if you treat them the right way and you constantly understand what their needs are, when it gets to the point where it's not a fit, either A, you're going to be able to part ways um, respectfully or B, you're going to have to move them into the role that enables them to succeed because you don't need only A players. You need A and B players, but C players in my definition are the ones that need consistent development and consistent like coaching and you, you can't afford to have those people on your team. So for those people, you need to cordially part ways. And a, a huge mistake a lot of agency owners make is giving more loyalty than is actually deserved. They, they are with me from the beginning. Yeah, but what got you to one or two million is not going to get you to 10. And, and if you really want to get to 10, you have to have the people on the ship that are going to get you there. Do you feel like that uh, answered? I mean, that absolutely 
nailed the question for me, especially part of that too, about some of those early hires and sometimes businesses, founders, CEOs being a little bit more loyal than they should. There's a really great book. I don't know if you've read it. The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, you know, kind of legendary Silicon Valley guy. And there's one specific section about him having to basically demote one of his best friends that was hired very early on to a lesser position to have him not in charge of so much. And like the book says, it was a very hard thing. But at the end of the day, he was able to make that work and keep everybody happy because the person he was talking to, they weren't going to get a reduction of their salary or anything like that. They were just shuffled around to have a role that was at that point in the company's growth more fit for their skills. Basically, he was saying that there's a way to frame this where the right people will understand that. The right people will understand, hey, you were a great fit for this role at the time of where we were. We've grown past that. And I think that one of the mistakes that can happen, especially in corporate America, but it can flow down to either high growth companies, startups, tech startups, you name it, is being afraid to have those canned discussions about why you're doing something. Oh my goodness. I love that you brought up that point. And I actually could not agree more. And I think one of the things I learned through my marriage is the work you have to do personally when you meet a person that you're going to spend the rest of, your, rest of your life with is the same exact work you're going to have to do as a founder. Like literally like, and guys, I had to go Oof. through a lot of therapy. I really did. You know, like it's, it's so interesting in my professional world. I'm able to have candid conversations. I had to go to a lot of therapy to make sure I could say what I was on my mind without making the my wife upset. Cause I was just afraid I was going to make her upset. And I think that point about Ben Horowitz, it's, it's so true. And the right people will always be down. So do you mind if I just drop in a quick, story from a client I saw where this really will click for maybe a lot of people? I would love nothing more. I love the the real world anecdotes. Let's go. Let's hear it. So I worked with this company, um, Jump 450 um, in 2022. They, they got acquired. I was working with them after their acquisition. When I, when I came into the picture, we were on year eight of the company. So this is a multi eight figure business, like doing more than 10 million, like multiple eight figures, right? I was meeting everyone on their team and I met employee number one. Employee number one was in a department. I can't say, I don't want to say which one. He was in, he's in a department. He was not in a director level. So we had the two co-founders. They brought on a president. They brought on two guys who were overseeing the whole fulfillment team. And they had a, like, so they had three heads of all the departments. And then in the departments, they had directors. So I think for each department, they had two or three directors, right? So creative paid you know analytics right so they had another you know two four six eight like eight to ten of those level and then they had employee number one who was in like a senior level role mm -hmm. and i looked at that and i was like dude there's like almost 20 people that are ahead of this person he's been here from date like literally employee number one that is fascinating like that for me was such a representation of good culture like and these founders were forbes 30 under 30 winners right mm-hmm and a lot of times that you like are those like they were so worthy of it because if I looked at this business I was like the the buy in that they have that their first employee who saw probably 20 people come in after him that are now ahead of him and he was still down to be in the role he was and he was so bought in that is the possibilities when you truly care about people and have candid conversations and care about their development. They got acquired, a multi eight figure exit. Like it's amazing. And they only did that because they did the right things. It is so amazing when you can get that buy in. 
and you can get people to trust in the mission. I know it was something that we did a lot of work on at the last company I was a part of, the one that was acquired. It was something though that didn't happen overnight. And I would love to know from your perspective while we're on this topic, are there any specifics that you see as being particularly helpful to communicate things about the company and about its goals, about its mission? Because I think at the end of the day, if you don't communicate those things, it's never going to happen. You're never going to get that buy-in. And maybe you disagree. I don't know. But I would love to know no, your thoughts. I got a blueprint for you. Even better. I got more than thoughts. Um, so I think let's just kind of go through some principles around this. I think the first thing it has to be genuine has to be like sincere. My mission with my business is to change the world. Now, it's the B-hack. It's the big, hairy, audacious goal that like we'll never get to because yep. it's all the way up there. And I learned this at Amazon. I learned that People need a rallying cry to aspire for that thing. I had teams, hundreds of employees, and my whole thing was let's kick ass and let's be elite. Like let's be the number one like team in the world. So we would do a thing at the, in the warehouse. I would say when I say kick, you say ass and kick ass. But the number one thing, it's be world class. Let's kick ass. That was the slogan I would make for all my teams. So it was to be the number one team in the world, right? And that was sincere, right? It was to let's let's wrap our identity in being that. So I think for what yours is, right? For me, let, it's to change the world. We'll mm -hmm. never do that. We'll we'll change people's lives and we'll change communities and we will make a ripple. But I really care about that. I really care about making an impact. So a lot of times, a lot of entrepreneurs get in this for money. So like maybe just let's be the best in the world. Like that's that's the team we're gonna build. Like because that's what I really care about, right? So it has to come. First and foremost, with the intentionality of like, what do I genuinely care about? What's sincere and like, what's authentic to me? And then the the second thing is you need to create values principles around it. So at Amazon, there was like fourteen or fifteen. In my company, we have a little less than ten. And these are words that you can use to source talent, to review people against on annual reviews, mm -hmm. and then bring up in meetings. But then beyond that, you need to have a, you know, I call it the MVP. Your mission, your vision, your purpose. Your purpose is for me is to change the world. The values are what you rank people against. And the mission is like that short-term thing. What's that five-year goal that we can get to? And for my company, it's a thousand. We're, we're marching to a thousand clients. And you talk about, you have to talk about all three, all the time. And your one-on-ones and your all-hands meetings, they have to come up in random orders and you have to bring in stories and anecdotes because we need to hear something seven times before we actually hear it. So to going back to the question, like how do you articulate this? Set the intention, Set the, start with the P, the Simon Simic, start with why, start with your purpose, identify your core values because people should genuinely be stack ranked against those things and they should be valued and that should have some correlation to their compensation. And then identify the mission. Where's the, where are we striving towards? For my Amazon, um, team, the P and the N were the same, like, let's be world-class, let's kick ass, let's be the number one team in the world. And then we we became number one. Then it's like, let's let's stay at number one for as long as possible, right? And I would talk about that all the fucking time, all the time. And that's how you do it as a founder, as a, as a leader, right? You talk about it and you bring into one-on-one -on -one conversations, you bring into group conversations. One of the big pieces in there for me is the goals, specifically aligning that around whether it's number of clients, whether it's revenue. That was something that we did that I found was really important to at least a couple of our teams, specifically sales, marketing, customer success, aligning ourselves 
to those big numbers. At one point it was 500, then it was a thousand, and then it was 2000, then it was 3000. And more importantly, when we reached those goals, we celebrated them. We would, you know, pop champagne in the office on a Friday afternoon after we had reached one of those big, hairy, audacious goals that we never thought we'd be able to do. Because at the same time, too, you know, if you don't celebrate those goals, they're not as important matter. to the people yeah. who are working towards them. So the other thing, too, I liked was your idea of what is the overall vision. And you had shared one that worked for you at previous businesses. One that so worked for us that I've found is anchoring yourself against a competitor or anchoring yourself to be number one in a certain space. If you have to go a little bit more narrow with it, if you decided that's the path you want to take. We had a really big competitor who was super outdated, very similar service offering at a very similar price point. But we had basically come in as the new kid in the block and say, hey, we want to crush them. We want more clients than they do. We want to dominate this market. And that was another thing that I found that can work really good to sort of anchor that mission into something, you know, digestible. So people need something to aspire for and they need to hear it all the time, whether that's in micro wins or that's just in success stories, that's just in anecdotes. We, they need a North star and that North star can be a variation of several things to your point. But, you know, if we don't have a North star psychologically, like Tony Robbins says, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yep. It's so true. So enable your people to feel like we're moving towards something. One of the articles that you have on your website is how to onboard clients successfully. And this is something I wanted to ask you, somebody who is an expert in these kind of processes and automation improvement, all the way from the systems that you're using up to the people that you're hiring and how you're building out those teams. When it comes to onboarding, I would love for you to just break down the biggest mistakes that you see in terms of client onboarding. So before we get into the mistakes, I, I want to clearly define, I believe there's two types of onboarding that happen with whether it's a team member or a client. I actually believe they're the same. We talked about systems. So I think the first one, there's technical onboarding and that's the streamlined process. So let's get them, let's get their access. Let's get them into the channels. Let's whatever that has to be smooth. And then there's psychological onboarding where I emotionally and psychologically am bought in and people just don't get bought in that you have to bring intentionality to that. So I would say the biggest mistakes are people don't know about number two. People know about technical onboarding. People don't know about the concepts of psychology around um, priming and planting the seed and unconscious bias and, you know, the one that, you know, people know about is buyer's remorse. People, everyone knows about that, but like how... How can we not only mitigate that, but start to put the side, the psychological seeds into their mind and then you know harvest them over time so they stay with us for a really long time? So uh, that's the biggest mistake is people don't know what those are. Holy cow. You kind of just blew my mind with that one because, I mean, I'll admit here, I didn't know that. I had never broken those two things out. And now that I look at the two different sides of it, technological onboarding and you know psychological onboarding, it's like... Man, that could have solved a lot of problems way sooner. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I think that we can lean into technology so hard and not to say that you shouldn't be, not to say that you shouldn't be trying to automate parts of that repetitive process. But I think that if you overlook the psychological side, it harms the onboarding 
process and it can leave a terrible taste in your client's mouth. Even if it isn't necessarily buyer's remorse, it was like, oh, well, that was kind of clunky. And it can also, at a larger level, set the tone for an entire project if the onboarding process isn't handled properly. So that is really interesting to hear. I think it would be helpful, actually, if you wanted to kind of go into those a little bit further. Yeah. So for me, the definition of psychological onboarding, the the definition of success, by the time the person is done, they are bought in to your business, the plan that you have for them, and that they are so bought in that they're now willing to give you a little bit of like wiggle room if it's not perfect. So what's psychological onboarding? Let's let's anchor this into a few um, principles. So one of the first principles is called priming. So priming is a psychological principle that states that we as humans are influenced by our environment. We are unconsciously programmed to perceive our environment based on the environmental factors that are in front of us. So the story of priming, there was a psychological study by like Let's just say Stanford, but it's probably not Stanford, but that's a smart school, whatever. Um, Stanford gave 100 people a hot coffee and 100 people a cold coffee. And they said, all right, I want you to pick one person at random, give them the coffee. And then say, oh, my my phone's ringing, can you hold this? You give them the coffee, whatever. And then five seconds, 10 seconds later, someone walks up to him and say, hey, would you like to take this, read the short story, we'll give you 100 bucks. So 100 people read the short story that had hot coffee and cold coffee. So 200 people in total. And the questions were, what are your thoughts about the protagonist? Over 80% of the hot hot people, <laughs> the people with hot coffee said that the protagonist was warm, loving, and accepting. Over 80% of the people that held the cold coffee said the protagonist was cold, disheartening, and rude. Same story, different sample groups, one factor, hot and cold coffee. Wow. We need to give our clients the warm coffee. What does that mean, right? So when you uh, when I I closed a deal this morning, when I closed that deal, congrats. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> so when I, when that deal closed, you know what I did? Sam, I just want to first and foremost congratulate you on making the best decision you are going to make this entire year, and here's why. That is warm coffee. I'm psychologically priming them. To believe, how many times do someone make a large investment and they get celebrated and they they're congratulated? What do you what do you tie the concepts of congratulations towards? You just won something, right? So that's one way I do it too, right? So, on top of that, another way that I love to do is a personalized welcome from the founder. If you're not in the sales process, hey Sam, um, just Jordan Ross here. Quick Loom video. I wanted to just congratulate you or welcome you to the community. Whatever, whatever. Additional ways to psychologically onboard them is another tool is called planting the seed. Planting the seed is a process where if we state something that will become on an unconscious level, the receptor or the receiver of that message will start to want to believe and will start to believe it's going to happen. Sam, want to drop, so let's just say you're two days into it or a day into it. Sam, I'm so excited that you're now part of the community. I just wanted to show you this roadmap of what's going to happen to your business. So right now you're doing about a million dollars a month. And through our process, at the end of 90 days, we're going to get you to $10 million a month. And I'm so excited to see your face when you are just gleeful and so happy when we get to that number. And you look at me and say, Jordan, you're right. We did it. I'm just so grateful for your service. I told this person how they're going to feel. So now when I say, I'm so excited to see your face, that person in their mind sees that. They start to literally live that experience. And now on an unconscious level, that person is called anchoring. That person's now anchored to believe that that has to happen. That's now we build an unconscious bias that that will happen. So I'm sorry, there's a ambulance about to drive by, but no, you're fine. When we, 
when we do these things with our clients, one, it gives us the ability to truly go out and serve them where if it's not perfect, they're, they have a cognitive bias that something great is going to happen, that I feel warm and I love this place. And th these people seem, they, they can't put their finger on it, but they just are bought in. Psychological onboarding, this works for both employees and for, and for clients. A great documentary. Uh, it's the WeWork documentary. I think it's on Hulu. The founder of that business was great onboarding talent and there's a scene where you could see him get people into the conference room on day one and just get so hype with them this that is psychological onboarding when we do that our clients give us a longer rope and give us the benefit of the doubt which allows us to if the process the technical process is not perfect get there psychological onboarding i mean mic drop right there and i'll, I'll admit to you like hearing this my first inclination is well is that like overselling or is that like over promising and then the more you got into it i'm like no it's none of that you are just sharing the excitement of the service that you are providing but it's intentional and i think that if you're not intentional you're going to have a reaction from that client either way right why not be excited about it why not congratulate them why not share with them the vision of what it looks like, you know, 90 days down the road? Because if you don't do that, you cre create a reaction that's very like a reaction that's very ho hum or like, eh, okay, well, I just, I'm paying for this, whatever. But once you frame it that way and you show, you, you know, list out kind of the breakdown and how you can build intentionality into that, it becomes a lot easier to digest and break down into specific actions of things that. You know, even right now, we could be doing it motion.io to share that excitement with our customers and with our users. I think at the end of the day, too, if you set the tone early on, once the project is done, that excitement's going to carry all the way through. They're just the same way I feel like a bad onboarding experience carries through, a good one does too. And at the end of the day, when that project is completed, they're going to be twice as likely to refer people to you. 100%. Right. If I were to summarize all of this, there's two schools of thought that matter for a business. That's it. Only two. That is literally it. If you could grow your business from two schools of thought, you'll be fine. First one around systems, right? It's lean operations. And mm -hmm. the second one, it's around people, it's psychology. That's it. Literally, period. Right. If you know how to do if you know how to be a lean operator and you know how to influence people through psychology, you'll succeed. That's all it is. This Jordan has been an absolutely awesome chat and I can't thank you enough for coming on. I feel Thanks like for I could, having me. Yeah, I feel like I could sit here honestly for hours and get into this stuff. It's like all of this kind of, you know, looking at processes, looking at personnel, looking at, you know, how you can scale is like really where I've found my home and is what I love to do within the businesses that I work with. So thank you again. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise because I've learned a lot too. Dude, it has been my pleasure. I love this, right? I'm so blessed I could run a business that is truly built on my passions. And I think uh, if you're listening to this, right, I hope you you saw that passion today. And I, I would imagine I said some things that you might not have heard. So I would hope you got some value too. Yeah, it definitely is the case for me. And I'm sure it'll be the case for our listeners. So with that, Jordan, two final questions before we wrap things up here. First one's a business one. Second one's a fun one. For my first question to you, if people want to learn more about you and the work that you are doing, where should they go to find you? Yeah, so we got a few places depending on where you want to hang out on the interwebs. So the website is eightfigureagency.co. Uh, that's the website. You could check that out. If you're listening to this and you're like, I want to talk to you, Jordan, eightfigureagency.co forward slash call. 
you could check me out on Twitter. That's probably my most prominent social platform right now. Jordan underscore Ross underscore 8F. And I have YouTube. I think it is the same handle. I'm not actually sure. And I probably should know that. And I recently started a Facebook group. Woo! If you're on Facebook, eight figure agency group, you'll see my face, which I just realized you're listening to this. So you actually don't know what that looks like. The group <laughs> is blue. So that's where you we can do find put out online. a YouTube version of this stuff. So maybe uh, they can see that, see it there. You watch this and then you see my face. Very cool. And we will put links to all of those things in the show notes of this episode. So you don't have to worry about searching those. Just go to our website, motion.io, click our blog, and you'll see the show notes for this podcast there. With that, Jordan, my final question to you, when you are not working, how do you like to spend your time? What do you like to do? Hanging out my wife on the beach. We live on the beach in Santa Monica. We're not beach bombs. We love to travel. We did five weeks off in Italy this summer. So part of my tagline, right? Build the dream, not a prison. I think a lot of you probably listening are in a prison where you can't step away. You, you got in it to build this dream life and travel and food and fun and whatever it is. But you ended up being stuck now where you can't break plat past a plateau and you're in it. My whole thing is build the build the business that could work without me so I could do the fun things. And for me, it's travel, it's food, it's hanging out with my wife and just dancing. We love house music. I did want to ask a follow-up question to that question. Where was your favorite area in it, in Italy that you went to? So Lake Como is like my favorite place in Italy. We will be buying a place in Lake Como at some point. But we did Sicily this year, which was new. And in Sicily, it was Terramina which for those of you that are White Lotus fans, that's where White Lotus was shot. Sicily yeah. is bomb.com. It is still a lot cheaper um, compared to the other place, the other the busy tourist places. It's still on the DL, uh, but like Terramina specifically, like near Mount Etna, like so DL, um, you guys got to go there. That place was fire. It was so amazing. Beautiful food was great. People are great. That is amazing. Yeah, I've watched the Anthony Bourdain episode on Sicily. I've always wanted to go, haven't been. I went to Italy a couple years ago, and one of my favorite places was a little town, Farnese. It was like, I think maybe 2,000 people live in there. One of those like towns you kind of see in Tuscany that's built on like the plateau with like the tunnels under it looks like a castle. But I have not been to Sicily. I really, really want to go now. You have me uh, all amped up, ready to look at some plane tickets. Sicily, yeah, Sicily was great. One more plug. Porto Wine Country, where port wines come from, it's a must. That place blew my freaking mind, too. I will say oh, that. really? Beautiful. Insane. The nicest wine country I've ever been to. We've been, we've been to a lot of them. Tuscany, <laughs> Italy, all in California. So, yeah, Sam, I got to bounce, but thank you so much for having me on, guys. Thank you for listening, and I'll throw one more plug. If you want to personally reach out to me, I am available via email to jordan at 8figureagency.co. I love emails from podcasts because I think podcasts is my favorite platform, so shout out. Amazing stuff. Thank you so much, Jordan. And until next time, everybody, Sam Shlobowski from Designing Growth, signing off. Have fun, good luck, and go crush it. Take care, everybody. Oh,